many of us have watched in horror the things that have unfolded this week. We've watched the posts from our friends um, with the stories of their family in Ukraine and the different maps and videos and all different things that have come out. And then we've watched the protests, the peace protests in Russia and those who are standing in solidarity even though it could cost them and our hearts have been heavy. So if you come into worship today with a heavy heart, if you come into worship today with sadness, if you come into worship today feeling anger at the chaos and injustice of the world, our God can handle that. Our God is so worthy of praise and our God can handle all that we bring. So today we bring the whole breadth of our experience to a God who we know Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we know that many families are crying that prayer. Our God knows how to raise a lament along with his people. And so we join believers, especially in affected parts of the world, we join in saying to our brothers and sisters of Ukraine and those who are standing for peace in Russia, we join in saying with them, we stand with you, we pray with you, and we lament with you. We pray for peace. Let's pray. Our God, we come with all that we are, knowing that our experience here is so unlike. Perhaps some of us here have seen some of the videos of believers singing in metro stations as their security and safety is compromised as they wonder what will happen to their families and to their homes and to their livelihood. God, we cry out a lament along with them. Our brothers and sisters who struggle. And God, we come to you who are on the throne, who are all powerful and exalted, and who, are also, who is also a God who became incarnate and cried out why have you forsaken me? We know that you understand intimately the pain. So we ask you, dear shepherd, to draw close, not only to those who are hurting within this congregation, those who are watching right now, but those who are hurting all around the world. We cry out to you. And we thank you that you turn and you hear us. We thank you that you shelter us under your wing of protection. We thank you that you are a refuge and an ever-present help in time of trouble. We thank you for who you are. Now, Holy Spirit, please attend our opening of the word of God today. Let this word be fresh for us. Allow us to hear and be comforted and convicted by your spirit. We pray this in the powerful name of our Jesus. Amen. I saw a video that I want to share with you. It's 13 seconds, so you can see it's not one of the heavier ones that I watched this week. I wish that I could experience life's problems like this. <laughs> Let's just watch that one more time. Could you replay that again? I actually watched it maybe um, 25 times, but you know. Don't you wish you could face life's problems like this? whatever creature this is, deer, goat-like creature. 
oh yeah, I got this. I got this. I wish that all of life's challenges were handled in that way. We're in a series called Overcomer. And though we may not just run up walls and find ourselves standing on top, our God promises to make our feet like the feet of a deer. Now what does that mean? It means that we are able to be overcomers because God, not only does God get us through it, but God enables us to stand. God doesn't necessarily always remove the mountains or remove the rocks from our path, but God gives us feet to stand. And so this little creature running up the side of the wall reminds me of God's desire for us to be overcomers. Whatever you're facing, whatever you face, that God desires to strengthen you in your inner being so that you can be an overcomer. We're in a series in 1 Peter, and this is part five, so if you're just joining us for the first time today, we've journeyed a little bit in this book. These people are scattered, Jews and Greeks that are scattered from Jerusalem into five regions of Asia Minor, and Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ, this guy that followed Jesus himself, he writes this letter to them. These people are scattered, these people feel like strangers in the land, and they are suffering. And in this place where they are, they receive this letter and they hear it together. And we are going to go forward in this from 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, this letter written to God's elect from the disciple Peter. He's in a section called Household Codes. And we'll talk about that in a moment. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 1. We're gonna do this in two parts, so the beautiful section Lena read will come second, so we'll just read verses one to seven right now. If you go all the way to Revelation and work your way back, it's a little bit faster, nearing the end of your Bible. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Rather, it should be of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. The first part that we will be addressing today Peter is in this section called Household Codes, instructions on how believers are to treat one another and how to interact with the world around them. We must remember the context of this passage. This letter is written to a group of believers in stress. They are experiencing persecution. They are uncertain. They are in crisis. So we found out in 1 Peter chapter 2, the section that we read last week, that Peter speaks to citizens who are under the control of autocratic leaders. I'm sure that has no application today. He speaks to slaves who have masters. 
And then he speaks to wives and husbands. And in the last section, he instructs everyone, which is the section that Lena read, we'll be get to, getting to in a moment. We will be looking at the last two, the, the instruction to wives and husbands and to everyone. As we spoke last week, Peter is answering a practical need for safety for these believers while holding in tension the call to witness and live within these oppressive structures that the believers find themselves in. Most likely the church is made up of women and slaves rather than husbands and masters since more instruction is given to these two groups. This section today probably emerges from a large number of women in the church whose husbands are not Christian. That's a hard position to be in. Today I want to acknowledge that if you believe in Jesus and you're married to someone who doesn't, that is a hard space to live in. And we honor your struggle that you believe and value something that your spouse does not makes a very difficult journey. Before we go anything, anywhere further, I want to acknowledge too that this text has been used to abuse. The very word submit has been used to dominate and to oppress. For others, just even bringing up marriage in church makes your heart ache. To talk about marriage raises up all sorts of feelings of pain and shame. You want to be married, but you're not. You're married, but you don't want to be. You were once married. There are things that happened that you wish were different, things that you can't go back and change. This can bring up so much for us in bringing up this subject in church. Please know first that in Christ and in this church there is no shame. We are called to bring our full selves, all of our feelings, all of our past, all of our baggage. Some of you even detest that I read this very passage. Even if you have baggage with this very verse, we're meant to bring all of it into the presence of God. And you know what happens when we bring our full selves to God and to the passage, to the, to the living word of God? We find acceptance. We find a God who meets us there. So we continue to pray and wrestle together no matter what our families look like. Every person today, every person here and every person joining online has their struggle because the church is not made up of perfect families. Even the people that you look around and think are perfect sitting here are not. Everyone has their struggle. It looks different for all of us but we can live under the delusion that others have it all figured out. Let's start by declaring love before we go any further. By speaking the truth to our hearts today that God loves you. Right where you are, right where you have been. God loves you. So Peter goes in this section into this flow. He says, be submissive so that you can win your husbands due to your behavior, make clothing choices that honor the interior over the exterior, and then he draws on past experience. That's his instruction to wives. The broader context of what Peter is addressing is live holy lives before unbelievers with the hope that your conduct will have a positive impact. Whether that is the autocratic system of government that you live within, whether that is to your master, if you are a slave, whether that is you as a wife who has a husband who is an unbeliever, live a holy life before unbelievers 
with the hope that your conduct will have a positive impact on them. As you make the invisible God visible by your actions, they gain an interest in Jesus. You are salt, you are light, you are a city on a hill. This verse, be submissive, actually draws its energy from 1 Peter 2, verse 13. Christian women, like Christian slaves, when they find themselves with non-Christian husbands, are to live under the orders of the day in order to witness. We must be careful to listen to this passage and understand the context, otherwise we might end up making it say something that it is never saying. It should not be a surprise to anyone here that there is a history of male dominance in the church and in the society as a whole. The patriarchal nature of this passage can make us want to dismiss it from the start. This is just another example of the subjugation of women by men, we can think. Peter's message to the, in this letter to believers living in stress and persecution is this. Live under the authority of Rome. To slaves, live under the authority of your masters. To women, live under the authority of your husbands. And it can sound like, Peter, you're looking at unjust systems and you're saying, live with it? We may wonder how is this helpful when abusive power structures exist then and now? How is it helpful to say live under their authority? Sadly, like we admitted last week, we admit that the text on slavery, even having slavery mentioned in scripture, has been used for great evil. And this and other texts have been used by men to force their wives to forego their own will and conscience and God-given intelligence. We will never hear the message of this or last week's text until we confess that there have been abuses. Until we confess that the instructions to slaves caused Christians to uphold the institution of slavery and passages like this caused Christians to uphold the subjugation of women. If you look at the reported cases of rape and abuse in the United States alone, it is deeply disturbing. The idea that men will dominate women is something that we see in the numbers. And I quote, that there are between three to six million women per year who are victims of some form of physical violence in their home should stagger us. And the stats in the church do not prove to be different than the stats outside of the church. Women, Christian women, are the target of blatant and pervasive violence, and some use this very word, submit, to perpetuate that violence. No one here would argue that the Christian story, the, the creation of humanity and the gospel message that Jesus redeems what God originally intended in the gospel story sows the seeds for a theology that categorically excludes the institution of slavery due to its unbiblical nature, even though the Bible permitted and accommodated slavery. We see all people are made in the image of God. All people are redeemed from the mess that we're in, from the precious gift that was given in Jesus Christ. In the same way, the creation story, Genesis 1:27, that says, let's make humanity in our image, male and female, created the image of God in both of us. And the redemption story in the gospel of Jesus Christ, these sow the seeds for future equality of men and women as equal image bearers of God, though the Bible permitted and accommodated practices that missed 
that full expression of equality. It's this equality that we see in Acts chapter two, where God pours out his spirit on all people, genders, ages, cultures, all united by one thing, the reception of the Holy Spirit. In Acts two, if God poured out spirit on sons and daughters, why would we erect walls in churches where the spirit has not? It's this idea of is this prescriptive or is it descriptive? Is Peter prescribing a way of living that stands for all time or is he describing a system that the believers then were acquainted with in their time and their place? All three systems Peter addresses were the result of the fall, the way that we lead and treat each other. Jesus himself even said, you have heard it said, they lord it over you but not so with you. I want you to do it in a different way. The way humans subjugate each other, the way humans oppress, the way sexes relate to each other, these were all the result of the fall. It is descriptive rather than prescriptive. Just as Genesis 3 did not tell men to rule over women, but simply described that men would rule over women, the great abuses have been with us since the fall. Peter is describing what is happening rather than saying that it should happen. For us, we must own what is happening. We own the pain and the chaos and the challenge of the world, not saying it's what God intends or what God desires, but it is what is. As we saw last week, because it's in the scriptures does not mean God condones the behavior or the systems of injustice described. The Bible records the work of God in the redemptive activity towards humanity, a broken humanity that God is seeking to bring back sinful humans brought back into complete wholeness by a God who redeems us. So Peter, when he says the weaker partner, yes, most of the time women are weaker than men. This has been seen in the abuses and domination, but it was not meant to describe or prescribe what God desired, but simply to acknowledge what was happening. The text indicates certain hairstyles. Some people have taken this to the extreme too. Women of braided hair and golden jewelry. These were fashion statements of the time. And I've heard some women say, I can't get braids anymore because the scripture talks about no braiding of hair. This doesn't mean you shouldn't braid your hair. It was this fashion statement of the time that said, look, this is where I've invested my time and my money. And Peter says, and this is a good message I think for men and women today, tend to the inner beauty first. When you're looking for a partner in life, your spouse, look for inner beauty. We all wrinkle and we all gray, we all break down. I'm sorry, old age is coming for you. How cheery is that, right? I heard it in church and it strengthened my soul. No, old age is coming for all of us. You better love what's inside. Yeah. Look for what God is doing on the inside in your life and in your potential partner, your life partner. Because when you wrinkle and gray, when one of you is in a wheelchair, when one of you gets a cancer diagnosis and you're going through treatment, what will you have then? But if you have the inner beauty, if you have the work of transformation that God is doing inside, you have everything. So Peter is saying, look at what God is doing inside. 
You have an inner self, a hidden person who has been transformed from the inside out by God's spirit. This quiet spirit actually parallels 1 Peter chapter 2. You can translate it either way, but for the slave, it is translated a nonviolent disposition. These are the same words as a quiet spirit for women. Have this spirit that shows there's an inner transformation. That, that you would know that you are cultivating an inner life. Now that doesn't mean that when you sit in the presence of God that you always feel something is happening. Keep praying, keep connecting with Jesus in the word. No matter what, let your soul look good, not just your outside look good. That's what he's saying here. You might think that person looks hot, but really what is inside the passion of the inner life for Jesus is what really looks hot. Don't give up the time with Jesus. Eugene Peterson calls this a long obedience in the same direction, and Peter would agree that the inner life, what you're cultivating inside, is what propels your witness. The inner interior life is where your witness comes from. Peter, surprisingly, perhaps you didn't hear it, is elevating the position of women in his society that he lived in. Even telling husbands, your wife is a fellow heir with you, would have been quite surprising to them, that they would be called fellow heirs. But I would argue that this entire section for women and for men hinges on four words. In the same way. In the same way. Which way? What are we actually talking about here? In the same way for wives, in the same way for husbands, but what are we actually talking about? In what way? This comes from the last section of 1 Peter chapter 2, the section that's thought to be a hymn or a song about Jesus, a hymn of praise to lift him up. 1 Peter 2, 23 to 25. Let's read that again to refresh our memory in the same way for wives and husbands is seen in that same section. 1 Peter chapter 2, it says... When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Each and every one of you Wives, in the same way as Jesus. Husbands, in the same way as Jesus. Everyone, in the same way as Jesus. Look at the example of self-sacrificing love for one another, a love that is deep and honoring of the person in front of us. Love like Jesus, in the same way as Jesus. The goal in the home and the goal in the church and the goal in the workplace, our goal in our relationship to authority, it's all the same, to be a picture of Christ's love. This love that will make the gospel, that is the good news about God's rescue into a living hope, something that others can see and want for themselves. The church makes the invisible God visible, how? by loving in the same way as Jesus. By this you will know that you are my disciples. This is how they will know, Jesus said, 
by how you love. So yes, I'm acknowledging this system. Yes, I'm seeing the relationship to autocratic government, the relationship between slaves and masters, the relationship between wives and husbands. These are systems that existed. You are under pressure, church. Now let me help you understand how you can show up in love, witnessing to the love of Jesus in that place. Now the last section for today, verse 8. Finally, all of you, after talking to each of these specific groups, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you would inherit a blessing. For whoever among you would love life and see good days must keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. This is all a quote from Psalm 34, but listen his reason, Peter's reason for the ethical statements that he's making. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. In other words, why are you loving in this way? Why, what's your ethical reason for that? God is watching you. And I don't think he means it like in that way, but he's saying, do you recognize that none of this goes unseen? Because when you're in an unjust system, you feel like it's unseen. And you feel like no one is taking notice. And even the psalmist will say at times, why, oh God, are you refusing to act? Why, God, do you not notice this? And so when you're in a system or when you're feeling the pain of this, imagine being a slave in your relationship with your master and you feel unseen. Peter says, God is seeing. God sees. God is watching. And the way that you live matters. Absorb injustice for the sake of the gospel. Stay together. Do not retaliate. Every one of you are called to live in love, to live in harmony. Think about the gravity of these words, the sympathy, the love for brothers and sisters, the compassion, the humility. This is Peter's words to a church who is struggling, saying, draw together. That in the struggle, in the place that you're in, press together and let your love be that much more pronounced because it stands out in direct opposition to the system you're living in. So if you lean in more to love, it stands out more to those who are around you. I wanna share with you one such overcomer in our church. Her inner transformation led to a really powerful witness in her family. Let's hear her story. When the volume comes, let's restart that so you hear the beginning. I started crying and I was telling my brother that was exactly what I prayed for for him. It was March 7, 2020, when God led me to baptism as the next step in my faith journey. This was a special moment because I shared this with my husband who was rebaptized on that same day with me. I remember 
that was also the last Sabbath service we had in the church before the lockdown. After my baptism, I asked God, where do I go from here? I knew in my heart that my baptism is the beginning of my spiritual journey. Now that there's this pandemic and I won't be able to go to church in person, I wonder how would I continue to grow in my faith and serve Him? But with my daily prayer and devotion, God led me to reach out to my family in the Philippines. So instead of just my usual good morning greeting to them, I would send them every day my devotional. My mom, who was a devoted Catholic, would usually respond every day and was very receptive. But my brothers, my brothers <laughs> would just reply with a thumbs up or a smiley face emoji. And that made me happy. At least I know they've read it and I know they've seen the message. Last July, 2020, I received a call from my youngest brother. It was in the wee hours in the Philippines and that would be like after lunch here. And I know that kind of call is an emergency. That call that you wouldn't want to receive because you're scared of what that person might tell you. As I answered the call, my brother was crying like a little boy, begging me to talk to him. He was telling me he's been hearing this voice, telling him to get a knife and kill himself. I didn't know what to tell him that moment, but I remember asking the Holy Spirit to tell me the words to tell him. I found out that he has COVID and was in isolation for the second day. And he asked me to pray for him. That was the very first time that my brother asked me to pray for him, knowing my brother He's the kind of guy that his religion was rock and roll. And so having him ask me to do that for him was a big surprise. And then he asked me every day to call him. And every day during that conversation with him, I would always um, share some Bible promises to him and stories. And he would ask me questions and I tell you, to be honest, sometimes I don't even know what to tell him, but I would always ask the Holy Spirit to guide me and tell me the words to share to my brother. And when all this were happening, I prayed to God to give my brother somebody who would lead him closer to God. I even asked God specifically to send him somebody from the Adventist faith. I know the odds of finding someone who is in the Adventist faith and the restrictions of the pandemic would made it impossible, but I didn't stop praying about it. And this was also during that time when I participated in the Deep Calling Discipleship class with Pastor Tara. So when all these things are happening, there I have my support in my group. One time during my conversation with my brother, he told me that 
he attended a Bible study online with his wife. Just hearing that made me so happy and I was like already thanking God. And then he continued telling me that, did you know also that my neighbor asked us to join their church online and told me that they were Adventist couple. The moment he told me that, I was like, wow, God answered my prayer. And I started crying and I was telling my brother, that was exactly what I prayed for, for him. Through this time, I learned to trust God and put my all into Jesus. What I learned from my deep calling discipleship experience is to allow God to work in my life, just enjoy the process while waiting and while learning more about Him. It was God's call for me to abide and allow Him to change my life. I learned that my spiritual growth is not something that I can control. There's no shortcut to my spiritual journey. Since then, my life has changed and I let God work in my life and in the lives of the people I care about. My story is the least thing I can do to praise God for all His goodness in my life. And I am deeply grateful for that. So grateful that Fatima was willing to share her story and grateful for how God always works. And that's what gives me hope here with Peter's letter to these believers because God always goes Genesis 50, 20 on our lives. What was meant for evil, God will use for good. So a pandemic lockdown and isolation, um, each of these things you heard in her story that God used in her life and her brother's life, God even works those things for good. Our invitation today is to love. Our invitation today is within whatever place we find ourselves in the same way as Christ Jesus, that we would be empowered and enabled to show up in love, trusting the God who works all things together for good.